So welcome everyone to Undone with me, your host, Ashley Dunn. I'm so excited about today's guest, um, Kenya Hunt. Kenya, Deputy Editor of Grazia UK, which you start in this position in January. Is that right? You got a promotion yes. last month. So yeah. exciting. Thank you. You're, yes, so you're the fashion director currently, but like I said, you start as a deputy editor in a new position in January. Her career spans working for some of the world's most influential women's titles on both sides of the Atlantic from her postgraduate days as an assistant at assistant editor at Jane Magazine to her years as deputy editor at LUK. Her writing has appeared in Vogue, The Guardian, Marie Claire, The Evening Standard, as well as a host of other publications. She has made several appearances on BBC, Women's Hour, Sky News, and more. As the founder of Room, a mentoring program, Kenya advocates for greater diversity within the fashion industry by providing a supportive network for aspiring designers, journalists, image makers of color in London. An American based in London, she lives south of the river with her husband and two beautiful sons. Kenya, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see you. It's been a long time. I think the last time I saw you was in New York during shows. A, at a fashion week back, right? yeah yes yes with me you jenna and tam yeah it was crazy. yes and now yeah. the whole landscape of fashion week has changed completely <laughs> changed yeah i know what, I was what just are your thoughts on that i it's just so strange i mean i was just watching the bottega veneta show yesterday remotely like virtually and yeah it just feels like one endless episode of black mirror because yeah, I mean, we've just been consuming everything via the screen. And at first, I think because we were all traveling so much and it didn't seem sustainable, we, I, you know, a lot of my peers and I, we were all relieved. We were like, okay, at least we can just take a, a, bright, a breather. But now I think everyone's missing it. I miss seeing people in person and looking at clothes up close and listening to, you know, people talking about the creative process. And yes, yeah, so I'm starting to get nostalgic for it. I know it's, it's, it's definitely different, but we have the vaccine, so hopefully we can get back to it soon. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I'm dying to get back to New York. I've, I've never been away from home for so long, from the States for so long, so. Yeah. I know. And speaking of the States, Kenya, um, like I just read in your intro, you have had and continue to have a successful career in fashion. One of, one of few, I will say, not many Black women, you have been successful in um, your uh consistency in the industry has you know inspired so many people such as myself which is why i had to have you on the show but your journey started in virginia is that right you grew up in virginia yeah. what were your career aspirations as a child i know that you were you were a trained dancer as a child but what did you what what were you thinking of as a career when you were say seven years old what did you want to be when you were young yeah, I mean, when I was a young girl, I, I, well, you know, you mentioned age seven. So that was around the age where I was probably like making my own books. And um, I, my mother has an old memory book where I would each year write what I wanted to be growing up. And I think at around age seven or eight, I'd written that I wanted to be a fashion designer. So even, you know, when I was really young, I was like consuming all my mother's magazines and really looking at it, you know, with a certain degree of aspiration. And then I think eventually that kind of settled into like being an editor and wanting to be the person who determined what went on the pages and things like that. 
Wow. And you've spoken in several interviews about how your grandmother, your mom, and your aunts were like your early influences in fashion and like your first taste of them going to like Ebony Fashion Fair. My mom was, I remember her pink compact. Like, I was like, oh my God. I connected to that so hard. Um, How were those early days of watching your, you know, mom, your grandmother, and your aunts and hearing their conversations? How did that inform and shape your first view of fashion? I mean, I think it shaped it in that, um, you know, it just really taught me quite early on to love and appreciate it as a form of self-expression. I mean, I think, you know, cause I also grew up in the church. So there's that idea of like Sunday best, you know, like it's really sort of dressing for the, the person you want to be, mm-hmm. um, how you want to present yourself to the world and all of that. And so I think that, you know, it really sort of ingrained in me this real idea that we can use fashion to, um, you know, just be an extension of who we are and also tell the world how we want to be seen or you know how we want people to treat us obviously we know due to the complexities of you know race and gender you know that can add extra layers in terms of like how the world perceives you and receives you but fashion is still a real powerful you know tool that you know that we have and that we use and so you land your first job post-grad at Jane magazine as an assistant editor, that's huge. I'm, I'm especially being a black girl because me coming up the ranks and trying to find my place as a black woman in this whole, you know, in fashion had been daunting for the longest time. Like I didn't feel seen or represented. So it were women like you in which I said, oh, well, she's thriving. She has a successful career. I too can as well. And mix both journalism and fashion together, right? Um, yeah. You land this job. Do you remember what it felt like to land that role? Yeah, I remember feeling really exciting. And you know, so my when I first joined Jane, I joined it as a research assistant, and then eventually got promoted to assistant editor because there's different layers to like those junior roles. And then I guess mm-hmm. assistant editor is probably the more at the top of like the mm-hmm. junior level, and then associate editor, and you keep going on and on. But I, um, yeah, I just remember being so excited because, you know, I'd had like all my internships and everything. And then I've been writing all these emails to one editor after another, trying to get their attention, trying to get a foot in the door. So yeah, when I first got that job offer, I just remember feeling like such a sigh of relief. Like I couldn't believe this was happening. I was so excited. Um, and then also because, yeah, J- Jane was a magazine I remember reading at school and university. And so just to be able to sort of connect my aspirations as a student to my new adult life like stepping into this new chapter I just remember feeling yeah like really elated about it how did that appointment prepare you for your journey that was to come because I'm sure you didn't foresee you know where you would be today how did that particular appointment prepare you in the sense of things that you use still to this day um I think it taught me the importance of relationship building because you know it's a, a an editor whom I look up to has always talked about the fact that you tend to come up in like graduating classes almost like there's your cohort like the people who come up with you and um I yeah for me it just really you know I my colleagues you know many of whom became friends who I just would keep in touch with forever and sometimes you work with people and you think that's just it and that's the job and then you move on and you're never going to be in touch again 
But I think what it really taught me is that so much of our work can be relationship driven and you just keep bumping into people. Like you don't leave a job and just leave the whole world behind. Like you you will keep interacting. If you're, if you're in an industry, you, you your paths are bound to sort of cross again. And so it's, it's much nicer when you can work collaboratively and have a great rapport um, as opposed to if you're like sort of burning bridges as you go along or just thinking like, okay, I have no use for this person, so I'm not gonna interact with them anymore or things like that. It's much nicer when there's a real sort of um, familial, collaborative kind of community vibe. And then, so American Girl in London. So you got a job offer. Is that what brought you over to London? Yeah, I got it. I mean, I never studied abroad and had always wanted wanted to live abroad as an adult. I was born in Germany, but moved back to the States when I was too young to remember it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when I had this job opportunity to be global style director of an um, international network of free daily newspapers called Metro, I jumped at it purely for the experience of living elsewhere and getting a chance to sort of, you know, know a different part of the world. Definitely. And then you would then go on to LUK in 2015 as fashion features director, later as deputy editor. And then, as I mentioned earlier, last year, you joined Grazia UK as fashion director and you were promoted recently again to deputy editor. Uh, You have described your career path as conventional and linear. Given your role in the fashion industry, Kenya, what obstacles and or opposition have you had to face and overcome? I mean, I think, you know, just it can run every, it can be everything from like, you know, being met with, uh, you know, basically other people's expectations, you know, you, you come across people who just think, okay, this is not in the cards for you, or this is not where I see you headed. I don't think you're capable of this or that sort of thing. So I think it's just sometimes, especially when you're a junior, you're coming up and um, it can be hard, you know, because you really need to have people in your life who really believe in you and, and also want to help you win when you're a young aspiring writer, stylist, photographer, anything. And so I think some of the bigger challenges I came up against when I was young was just really proving to people that, you know, I can do it. Why not me? I'm worth the time and the investment. Give me a chance to write these stories. Give me a chance to get these bylines and that sort of thing. And then as it became more senior, I think some of the challenges were more so about earning respect um, you know, from people who don't necessarily think that you should have space in the room or people who just aren't necessarily used to seeing um, women of color in these positions. Um, and as a result, just aren't accustomed to it. Like you haven't been exposed. Um, so, but I mean, those are just a few examples. And I, when you said the proving part, I've felt that so many times coming up, you know, I'm 37, but I look young, right? And so I've always felt- yes, you look like 21, the melanin. Shout out to my mama, <laughs> shout out to grandma. Yes. But wow. I've, al- I've always felt the need to have to over prove myself because like, do you deserve to be in the room? And they've always looked at me like I was much younger. So that added con- uh, concept on top of being the black woman in the room. So yeah. did that ever get daunting for you? Do you still find yourself having to prove yourself in this space? It definitely was exhausting. I mean, I think when I moved here, I got off the back of have worked in New York 
for years. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I moved here, some people were under the mistaken impression that I was a, a recent graduate because I was new to the UK market. So oh. I do remember encountering those layers of preconceived notions similar to what you mentioned yourself. Um, right. And that it was just because people didn't know me. So they, was, they, they were just assuming. Whereas those who mm. knew that I had a history in New York or who had worked with me previously, right. they knew. So I, I just remember having to sort of correct a lot of people's misguided sort of notions of where I sat within the, you know, the scope of my career and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it can definitely be exhausting, but I think one of the things that I've learned with time and age is that I'm, I refuse to receive that. Yeah. You know, yes. so it's like that, what you think is none of my business. I'm not going to let it disrupt my energy as I'm progressing. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. I just try to move forth with like a, you know, a real spirit of like open-mindedness and focus and gratitude, you know, for, for what I've been able to do while at the same time, very firm boundaries in place. So like, you know, if you have, if you're trying to compute or wrap your head around my presence in any circumstances, that's not my problem. Like I'll just mm -hmm. let them figure it out. And that's what I advise anyone do. That's good, Kenya. I love that. I, that's okay. really good. Um, so what has your journey been like as a black African-American woman, well, African-American woman, in London working in fashion. So there's this layer of being black, right? And working in fashion, but you're also not from there. You're from America. What has that journey been like for you? Yeah, you know, in my book, um, I talk a bit, there's a chapter called The Front Row, which I wrote um, in my book, Girl, in which I talk about this, that added layer of isolation. I think, you know, navigating the fashion industry is a newcomer, no matter where you come from can be isolating because you know fashion is filled with a lot of people who came from outside the bubble of fashion so whether that be from more, more rural environments or other countries or you know whatever um and so i think that number one can be a real steep learning curve um and then i think when you add yeah race to the equation or class you know i i just come from you know a nice family but i don't i in i grew up comfortably but i didn't i'm not a part of the wealthiest one percent by any means so that's not right. my world i don't come from that wealth and privilege um and like you said you know i'm a black american woman so i think there's layers and layers of like you know outsiderness mm -hmm. um that we're compounding and so but i think it forced me to be um in a way, I think it kind of worked in my favor because I always had this kind of like, I, there's nothing to lose, open-mindedness about it. Right. Because I didn't grow up, I didn't come up in the sort of the system here. So I had no problems with just sort of talking to people, you know, just saying hello, striking up conversations with people, cold calling people. Cause I'm just like, what do I have to lose? I, this is my country. <laughs> it's all, you know, it's right. all a bit of a crapshoot for me. <laughs> so yeah, I would just kind of always approach it with like, you know, why not? So in terms of my relationship building, I would often sometimes just pull the American card and just have it, you know, just be like, Hey, you know, I'm not from here. So I thought right. it allowed me to get away with more because, um, <laughs> I could flout some of the conventions of the fashion industry and be a little bit more friendlier and outspoken and more frank because of it. Whereas here, I think, you know, people tend to historically be a little more reserved um, and it can be a bit of a tougher audience, but I would just like, you know, just chat with anybody at, the, at these shows and things like that. <laughs> Those shows can be, oh, uh, before we dive into the book, which I'm so excited about, um, what advice would you share to fashion girls who are 
going to listen to this episode and they're wanting to pursue a career in fashion and they look like you and I, or they may not look like you and I, they're just wanting to carve out space in this industry in which it's new. I think that we're going into a new dynamic of it. It doesn't look like it did before. What advice would you share? I just think I would advise them to really remember that um, the sky's the limit. I think sometimes it can seem quite scary coming out of school or navigating the job market during a time like this when the economy is um, in flux. But at the same time, because everything is changing in fashion and the ground is shaking beneath everyone's feet, there's so much change happening that it really is a bit of what you make it. Also, you know, when I was coming up, things were more opaque because shows weren't being streamed live online you know when i was coming out of school and you didn't have instagram didn't even exist you know now you you get such a window into every facet of the making of fashion that you know you're more educated you know as a consumer but also as a as an aspiring professional and then you have the tools to create your own content you know you don't even have to wait for a legacy publisher to give you a job you can get your own thing up and running i mean what is her name I don't know how to pronounce her name, the young Kenyan, hilarious young Kenyan comedian. I know uh, who you're talking about. I think it's Majimbo. I don't want to butcher the pronunciation of her name. She's a gorgeous girl, very funny. And she's like my new obsession. She, you know, could not be farther away from New York and Hollywood, but she has created her own platform and New York and Hollywood have come to her. She's being featured in all the magazines. Everyone knows who she is because she's put out this really brilliant, hilarious content when, you know, at a time when we all need to laugh. And I just think, yeah, thanks to all these tools, you really can just, you know, if you have a really clear vision and point of view, you can create your own content and capture someone's attention. Even if you haven't gotten that dream internship in in New York or gotten that job assisting that that stylist you really wanted to assist in LA, Mm. there's still pathways in. Mm-hmm. That's good, Kenya. I'm sure people will be able to take that and use it. That was really good. So I'm so excited about this book. First oh. of all, I love the title. Like, and I love the different um, the different ranges that you gave it. It's like girl, then it's like G, or it's like girl, then it's like girl. <laughs> Kenya, Kenya, Kenya. Okay, girl, essays on womanhood and belonging in the age of black girl magic now available on Amazon and where books are so the perfect gift for the woman in your life. What inspired this book, Kenya? Was it black women? I mean, what made you say, this is what I want to put out? Talk to us. 100%. I mean, it was my group chats, my closest girlfriends, um, and everything that we were going through. I mean, I think a lot of the seeds of this book, you know, were planted in my group chats and in some of my essay, I mean, my um, journals, because I'm a real avid journaler. I like to write in my journals. But um, So I think between those two things, because we were, there was so much going on in our lives, my closest girlfriends and I, it was like navigating work, really annoying situations at work, frustrations with our being mothers, and then juggling the two and then like, you know, things that flare up with your friendships, you know, but then all the joyful stuff as well, like all the jokes, all the humor, and also noticing how we spell things phonetically, like the range of our language and how we speak to one another. 
Um, so yeah, that's what really inspired my essay, girl, and also the use of the all those phonetic spellings, because that's just I, how we talk to one another. I was like, this is so. <laughs> Kenya, I have to talk to her about this. Um, what did you? Um, what did you learn? Okay, what did you uncover, and what did you learn about yourself and about Black women? when you were going through the process of writing this book? Like you're already, you know, a black woman, you feel like I already know us, I got us down, but what did you uncover about yourself and then in your process, black women in general that you didn't know before going into it? Well, I feel like for me, it was more so kind of confirming what I already knew and loved about black women in general, and then mm -hmm. introducing new sort of revelations about myself personally. And that is, um, you know, in terms of, I can only speak to my specific experience rather than for the whole of black women. But, you know, I just love the way that we show up for each other consistently. I, I can't say this is the case for all black women everywhere, but the vast right. majority in my life, you know, I've seen so many examples of this and have participated in it and experienced this intense, um, form of advocating for one another. Um, mm -hmm. But even watching what's happened globally, you know, if we weren't, if black women weren't speaking up for Breonna Taylor, there would have been no national outcries. Um, and so seeing what happens when we really show up for each other. Um, and so that, you know, this book has really confirmed that for me because, you know, I invited five incredible women to contribute their stories and their essays. And just seeing how they, you know, it's been such a joy watching them connect with one another, how we've all, you know, the relationships are taking on their own forms and, you know, doing the book together watching others put each other on and support one another and also support me in the promotion of this book and how supportive they've been. And they all had their own projects going on and we're, we're just really, we have each other's back and that I love. And also my girlfriends and my family and how this really does feel like it's been a big, a product of like a collective love and a celebration and honoring of, um, you know, a collective group love that I've, you know, been privileged to experience. Did this feel therapeutic at all, writing this book? Um, it did in a certain way because I think it helped, you know, I started writing it to sort of try to make sense of the last 10 years of my life, give or take, and it really allowed me to do that. And so, yeah, it did feel quite therapeutic in that way. Okay, so this is uh, an excerpt from the book and you say, the idea of a bad bitch is not new. Um, for many of us, the notion that we had to be firing on all cylinders at all times was baked in our upbringing with parents in all corners of the dysphoria going so far as to instill in their children the idea of having to be twice as good as their white peers in order to earn just as much. A self-fulfilling maxim born out of the Jim Crow era and civil rights movement that followed it permeated not just the parenting style of generating of generations but our entertainment our social groups and our literature literature it also birthed it this bad bitch wow that was <laughs> that was good uh is this book is this book permission for black women to be or not even permission but the the okay, like girl, it's okay to just be and feel free to be you in any, whether you're a bad bitch, whether you're simple, whether you're whatever it is in whatever space you take up. Is this permission or the go ahead that girl just do it? 
yeah, I, I would say less permission, but more encouraging. Yes. My, my women friends and the women mm-hmm. I know and don't know to not wait for permission. Just seize the opportunity to just lean into just being. I mean, the way you verbalize it is perfect. Girl, it's okay. You know what? I mean, this year has been a lot. We do not have to be firing on on all cylinders all the time. We don't have to be in the headlines. You know, or just honestly, just the work of getting through 24 hours in the midst of a pandemic is a win. So I think it's just, you know, really kind of allowing ourselves to be without and, re- and rejecting all of the extra sort of weight that's often, you know, pushed on us, um, you know, which is not a new experience, you know, like, you know, dissertations and books and panel discussions, you know, there's so much discussion about everything from the politicization of our hair to right. our bodies to, right. you know, the way we choose to conduct ourselves in the public space, um, in the workplace, you know, all of that, you know, I think it's just, really encouraging women to feel free to reject that and um, and just really sort of lean into all of those those isms and those quirks and like that unique sort of alchemy that makes each one of us individually who we are. You know, we're not a monolith, which we all know. Um, right. um, I, there's this Damon Young who blurred my book, who, who's someone I really admire. He is one of the co-founders of Very Smart Brothers on the, the Root. Mm-hmm. He said, like, if there are 40 million Black people, then there are 40 million ways to be Black. Um, and so I, you know, I love that that mm-hmm. sentiment. And so, yeah, it's definitely like, you know, this book is in a way is me just sort of encouraging women to, you know, just say, it's okay. You know, it's okay to just take a beat. <laughs> or not. Thanks. Or, or not. not. Yeah. I love it. Like we don't have to be firing. Like we don't have to be the sexy. We can just be like whatever space we take up. And I love that yeah. about this book. Um, before I think our time is almost up, I have two questions. I hope I can get them in really quick. Where yeah. do where are black women going in 2021 and beyond? This year, you know, a lot of things were uprooted, right? Um, yeah. What's the trajectory of black women? Where do we go next? What's next for I mean, black I, women? I would say from my vantage point as a journalist who is an observer and chronicle, you know, chronicler of moments and movements, I'd say forward at a much faster pace. You know, black women have always been doing incredibly pivotal and crucial work and, you know, a number of spheres like being been the driving engines in politics, the most mm-hmm. powerful and consistent voting bloc that the Democratic Party has, for instance, um, contributors of, you know, or shapers of, you know, social justice movements and all of those things. I think just now, I would say that I think due to um, the way that Black women have harnessed the power of, you know, social media as an organizing tool, but also as a tool to sort of shine a light on each other in our wins, I just see us moving faster you know evolving not evolving advancing that, mm-hmm. that's what I'm looking for advancing at a, a higher rate and I you know so many people ask me is this a trend is this a trend and I really don't think it is because we because we show up and we show up for ourselves I, I, I and also because we really have powerful tools to to really advocate for ourselves as a result I just can't see this really moving backwards 
What do you hope readers feel when they, after they read this book? I hope that they, you know, I hope that they feel seen, even if they don't necessarily see their direct life experience, their life experiences directly reflected in, you know, my accounts and the accounts of the five women who contributed to the essay. I hope that they feel um, a sense of kinship. I hope that they leave the book feeling um, a heightened degree of empathy if they're not mm -hmm. Black women. If they are Black women, I, I hope that they, you know, have a moment to sort of pause and reflect on the possibilities of their own life and how that might look when we sort of reject other people's, um, you know, narrow and strict notions of who we are and how our lives should look and what kinds of lives we should be leading. Kenya, thank you so much for joining us today. This was thank so good. You. Thank you so I much. Am so, I'm so excited for this. I will, I mean, let you know when it comes out. Tell the people where they can follow you if they're not already. They, I mean, they should be, but yeah. tell the people. I, I'm so I'm on Instagram more than anything because I'm, you know, I use it so much for work. And I'm mm -hmm. on Instagram, I think, as Kenya Hunt. And then I'm on Twitter as Kenya in Hunt. But I don't have the best Twitter voice at all. <laughs> so my, tw my, my Twitter is very dry. Uh, whereas Instagram, I tend to post a lot more. <laughs> you do, you do. You guys, make sure you follow Kenya. Kenya, have a beautiful holidays. Thank you so you much too. for being a part of this. I'm so excited. And I will you. keep you posted. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a Merry Christmas. Talk to you You too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.